Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the session. My name is Will Gordon. I'm the co-founder and COO at Latchel, along with our operations program manager, Joseph McCallie. Joseph, you've been a contractor for what, over 15 years before you joined Latchel? Yep, that's right. And Joseph recently helped us put together a a great troubleshooting guide uh, that we'll be diving into a bit today. We'll also be diving a lot into his background and like all all of his experiences that went into putting this guide together. So interesting note is at Latchel, we're able to resolve about 30% of maintenance requests that come through by troubleshooting them over the phone and preventing any dispatch whatsoever. Saves our clients a lot of time, money saves their clients time and the cost of dispatching a vendor when it's a really easy fix. So we put together this comprehensive e-guide and we'll be giving you access to it today. So Joseph, I'd like to get to let the audience know a bit more about you, uh, your background and you know, why, why you're qualified to make such a, a great comprehensive <laughs> troubleshooting guide. But first, um, you mind telling me a little bit more about the role or actually the audience, a little bit more about your role at Latchel? Sure, so uh, with Latchel, um, as Will had said, I'm the operations program manager here. So basically my role in the company is to uh, go through and identify customer-focused opportunities um, and then to create or develop, maybe even change um, operational procedures and policies to make them fit in line with with whatever that focus is that we found at the time. So um, to put it in the easiest way possible, um, my job is to come up with new and better ways to help customers. Continuously improve. That's uh, what we like to do at Latchel. So you've had quite a, a journey into the world of maintenance. Um, so how, how did it all get started? How do you get into the maintenance world? So I'm actually a second generation handyman. So my uh, my father owned and operated his own um, do it all handyman company for 30 years. Um, so. What I mean by that is, you know, we're in a small town, small community. So whenever you're a handyman in an area like that, you have to be able and capable of helping people out with just about anything that they may come across. Um, And you kind of can't turn down work. You've got to be able to say, yes, I will help you out with that. And I will take care of it as much as I can. Um, I personally began working with him. I think like a lot of people whose parents own these similar type of businesses do at about 12 years old or so. Um, I was consistently on site with him um, working at every opportunity. So that's nights, weekends, uh, you know, summer, all, all, all the time that I wasn't in school, I was pretty much on a job site with my dad somewhere. Um, I, I really started taking it seriously at about 16 or so. So from like age 12, I imagine like you're, you're helping out just a little bit of been 16, you're probably a lot, lot more capable. Why don't you give me like a little, little bit of overview of what you learned helping out in the, the family business? Yeah. So, 
it, it, like you said, yeah, of course, when you're younger, it's 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 more just kind of being around and being being what you can, handing tools where you can. But um, the biggest thing that I actually learned over the whole process of working in that family business is um, being thorough and having an eye for for detail. Um, I, I, I would say that nobody's probably more critical of you than like your parent who has to take the work that you do and then sell it um, to someone else. So not only is your parent got to be proud of what you do and, and they are, but they also have to convince someone else to be as well. And that's when that's when you really start to learn those those uh, eyes for detail. Um, but I will say also, especially working in a, in a small community like that, the other thing that I learned is um, kind of to have a customer service attitude always, um, not just customers, but really more community. It's a community service because you know everyone that you're working for. You've met them before. You've probably done something here or there for them before. It's not just like a person who's calling you over the phone and you got to go deal with that problem that you don't know. This is someone that you live around every day. Um, so it's kind of a, an important, even more so probably than making money at that point is, is learning to be a consistent resource for somebody. Yeah, yeah, really customer obsession to a whole new level. It's a relationship that you're you're gonna have to live yeah. with, you know, day in, day out in town. So when you said that eye for detail, how does that really manifest itself for a handyman? Yeah, so um there there there's kind of it, it is kind of interesting because you can go out and you can make fixes or you can make a repair and you can make something work, right? But it's not just as simple as making something work. When you're a handyman, what you do and what you fix someone else has to live with every day. <laughs> um, so it's it's making sure that not not just that it's operating for now, but it, that it will at least be fairly consistently operating going forward, um, that it looks good. It's something that's part of someone's home. So, you know, that could be something as simple as like a hole in the wall that you've patched. Well, I could patch a hole in the wall and just have it no more, no longer a hole, but actually having it look like it was never there to begin with or having it look consistent with a, with the remainder of what you have going on, that's that's really where that key comes in. And that's what kind of separates someone who can fix something from a from a professional handyman. Yeah, yeah. That, that attention to detail is really seeing it from the eyes of the customer. What would they really want more than just am I solving the problem at hand? Right. So also in, in your resume, you, you made a jump from helping out with the family business to becoming a master technician at an appliance company. So what, what motivated that change? So... Um, you know, a little bit of it is, is just working for family before that, right? I think I think everyone reaches an age when they're in, in, in a business with their family that it's not that you have any problem working with your family, but you want to reach out on your own. You want to do something different and branch out and maybe make a name for yourself. Um, and, and it was kind of more like that for me. Um, it was something that I was, I guess, had a tangential relationship with. I'd messed messed with appliances. I'd worked on some before. Um, I've certainly installed plenty for people under the, under the process of being a handyman, but um, you also get a little bit more financial security when you move your way into a specialization. And that was, that was a big key for it for me as well, was saying, okay, this is what I like. This is, this is something that I've done that I enjoy. And you know, I, I may, for now, I'm going to put that the rest aside and I'm really going to focus on, on truly learning a craft. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what that was for me. It was that was the craft I wanted to go down. So when you say cr like learning the craft, like specifically, what are those new skills that you're learning on the job that you weren't getting uh, before? Yeah, so it's 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 kind of having a the diagnostic mindset, especially with the appliance jump from like from like handyman work. It's it's kind of learning the mechanical side of things um, to start actually understanding the elements of how something works um, and consequentially you also learn the elements of why something breaks um, or doesn't work at that point um, and then that that's kind of what I wanted to focus on I, I learned and made my way over to learning how 
to actually figure out the root cause of, of problems and issues um, from almost from an engineering perspective. Yeah. I imagine that a diagnostic approach is really what helps with that, that whole troubleshooting mindset, the ability to solve yeah. problems like in, intuitively and whether it's over the phone or, or on site. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So after a few years at the, at that master technician, um, you then started your own company, uh, an appliance company. Uh, that's another really big change is, was that a, a desire to be, you know, like, like your dad and have your own business or was there something else that was motivating that change? What was that? Um, so I, I had a really, a really big opportunity that came up. Um, it was actually something that was originally presented to my former boss and, uh, he just logistically wasn't able to take on the contract at the time. And, um, I had worked for, for, for a few years and I'd been, at least I'd like to say pretty consistent in what I was doing. I had pretty good results. Um, and he, he basically said, hey, this is a really, really good opportunity, and I think you're the right person to jump onto it. Um, and as I started to look into it and I started to, to, to see, could I actually do that, um, I, I realized that I, you know, I was at the right age, the right point in my life where I think that's, that's something that I want to do. Um, I was pretty young to do that, um, but I felt like I had like a really good time to grind out and go through that. And yes, having my dad haven't done the same thing is certainly a... Certainly helped me kind of have have an peace of mind um, for making that jump that I've I've seen it work before. So yeah, I imagine being the second generation in the family gave you that extra confidence, knowing that hey, I've seen these problems a lot. You know, grew up around the, these types of problems. You know, making this jump isn't too much. How, how did your family react? Were they proud? Were they apprehensive? A little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, I think you always get a little bit of both, right? So when your kid goes out to do something like that, you 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 get your concerns, but um, I, I will say in that particular, in this particular case, my dad was super helpful with that. Um, he helped me um, kind of understand the changes that I was going to have to make that I didn't know necessarily, the things that I, I may have seen, but I was younger, I was a kid, right? So I didn't know everything that he had involved in running a business. He helped me, you know, kind of establish myself. Um, and then, of course, you know, just having that contract in place always helps. Um, it helps you build from there. So there's a base to build on. So yeah, my, my family was pretty supportive. Um, I, I, I can't say that anyone in my family wasn't. They were all there for me whenever I needed them to be. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really great. So yeah, you, you mentioned that contract a few times. So that contract, mm -hmm. what kind of clients did that give you? Yeah, so so that uh, that was primarily for home warranty companies. Um, there was a really major home warranty company um, that, that had my initial uh, contract that I went with, the one that, I, that I've mentioned a few times. But um, from there, when you work with home warranty companies, it's always good to diversify and just to kind of get out there and, and work with as many of them as you can. That was my primary um, type of, of client was, was home warranty companies. And so because of that, uh, most people whose houses I, I, I went to, essentially your real customers at the end of the day, um, they were primarily first-time home buyers um, and renters. That's that's your largest consumer of home warranty uh, programs. And so um, a lot of times I was going into a house with somebody who didn't have like, you know, if you've owned a, a house for 20, 15, 20 years, there's some things you've seen before. There's some things that you understand. But most of my clients at the time, I was the only expert in the area on, on those kind of things. So. Okay. So a lot, a lot of these clients may, maybe didn't really know what they're, they're dealing with more of the, the renter mentality, even if they are the yeah. homeowner, they're so new that they, they just transitioned to home ownership, probably yeah. very similar to our client base. Uh, they, they have renters yes. who don't really necessarily know how to make repairs, make fixes and need a lot of help and guidance. Absolutely. So, 
what were the types of issues you're you're running into and, and seeing uh, with with that kind of client base? Yeah, so for, I mean, for that uh, for that particular business, it was it was mostly appliances. So um, I saw um, a lot a lot of times I saw like refrigerators not cooling well, um, leaks from your dishwashers, you know, uh, or at least they thought it originated from there. So you see those kind of issues, um, garbage disposal problems, ovens not turning on. It, it's it's largely appliance based things. Um, most of the time, um, it, it wound up, it winds up being fairly simple repairs, um, just because it's it's the inexperience of the user. Um, not to say that it's their fault, but they just don't know what's going on. And so, when you have that and you don't know what's happening, you call the repair guy. That's that's the way to go. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of small stuff like that that I saw on a consistent basis. So, so what would you say was the most common one of, of all those things you just described? Um, out of out of all of those, the most the most common issue was probably your refrigerator not cooling very well. Um, they're they're a big box that people have a rough idea of what they do, but not really how they do it. Um, and so that's the one that carries the most, I guess, uh, mystery <laughs> to a large majority of people. So I, I pretty consistently saw issues with that. Okay. So for for anyone who's like a property manager who's also you know may may not be super experienced with different appliance issues and all that, like how would you walk through? diagnosing what's going on, maybe fix uh, an issue with a, a refrigerator not cooling. Sure. So so in that particular situation with a refrigerator, um, the first thing that I do is I'd kind of, you have to make sure that you're catching from the client or from the customer what exactly is going on. Um, because there is a large difference between, say, a refrigerator that maybe isn't as cold as it should be uh, versus one that's not cooling at all, right? Um, and when you get the initial call, most people, they'll feel the refrigerator, they'll open it up, they'll notice their milk is warmer than it should be. Uh, maybe it's it's still a little bit cold, but they don't necessarily know whether it's operating or not. And so there's a few cues that you would start to look for. Like, like what? Uh, like for example, can you hear your compressor running? Like, does it is it making a hum at all? Um, as simple as do the lights turn on when you open the door? So do you even have power going to the refrigerator is what we're looking for. Um, you know, if everything seems to be running smooth and you do hear all of that going, how hot is like the cabinet of the refrigerator? Because if you're starting to feel a lot of heat that you would feel around it on the outside, um, it actually is probably more of an airflow issue than it is any kind of mechanical failure. Um, a lot of people don't know that a refrigerators need a lot of airflow and there's usually a vent somewhere that needs to be cleaned off every few years. Um, just naturally it gets built up with dust and whatnot. And if that gets blocked enough or not enough air gets through, it'll cause it to essentially not work. Um, so there's, there's things like that that you go through the process of. Um, and you just kind of go one at a time, you know, and make sure that you check things off the list. So, so I know that it's running. I know that, you know, the lights are coming on, there's power. I know that the compressor sounds like it's kicking over. Then it's going to be something to do with airflow. Um, the other things that we would check is like, um, is the freezer side working? If you have, if you have a, most of the time these days, you've got both, you've got a freezer and a refrigerator together. So a lot of people don't know that your refrigerator and probably 99% of the designs that are out there for the home now, the refrigerator itself doesn't do any form of cooling. Only the freezer side cools and then the refrigerator pulls air into the refrigerator side. Um, so if you've got one side that's working and your freezer seems to be like solidly freezing like it's supposed to, but your refrigerator is not cold, it's actually probably an airflow blockage somewhere in there. Um, I've seen that be something as simple as somebody took a 
a, a particular case here. They took a, a juice carton and they pushed it to the to the back of their refrigerator, not thinking anything of it, and they literally put it right in front of where the air flows through. And after that, sat there for a day or two. It blocked enough air from coming through that that Warm it caused issues in the refrigerator. It's it's simple things um, can cause pretty major um, issues uh, that, that you'll see through that. That's really how you would go. <laughs> so how much of this is preventable by by the homeowner or by, by the, the landlord? How much of it is on the setup and configuration? And how much of it can you solve once the issue comes up like So on, on, on your own with, without having to call a technician? Yeah, it's, it's a surprising amount, <laughs> a very, very surprising amount to most people, especially when it comes to appliances. But um, so to try to go through the elements of that. Um, so for the setup itself, most of the time, I will say most houses are set pretty decently that way. Um, they're pretty consistent. They're made by planners and builders, and it's things have their places that are already pre-programmed and pre-put out there. But there are things like the usability. How, how actually do you keep the stuff in your fridge? Do you maybe keep something in the wrong portion of it? Or, um, you know, I, I do a lot of times uh, have issues with like uh, just some kind of changes, especially as a home gets older, where somebody has changed like um, the way that the electrical system might work. Um, so they've added a switch somewhere over time um, that maybe wouldn't be in a place that you normally would see. So those kind of issues probably are there 10% of the time give or take, um, you're going to see something along the lines that's just a little bit out of the ordinary, but it's something you wouldn't typically think about that can solve the problem pretty simply. Um, probably by the switch thing is you mean like a, a light switch that's set up and maybe yeah. controlling an outlet that somebody doesn't realize is controlling an outlet. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty common. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the case that you see that the most is like um, whenever you have a dishwasher, typically your dishwasher and a garbage disposal, they share the same outlet itself. Um, so whenever uh, an electrician goes on and they add a switch to put the garbage disposal in, it's actually pretty easy for them just to add another switch um, for the wiring as well, just for the, the next plug right next to it in the same receptacle. They usually add a secondary one, or they can add a secondary one for your dishwasher. And a lot of people don't realize that or don't know that. And, you know, that's that's a switch that's just randomly added in there that you've probably left on the whole time you've lived at a house, especially if you're renting. And it's like, it was on when you got there, the dishwasher working, you never touched it. <laughs> um, you never realized what it was. That switch or some, some guest comes by is trying to find your garbage disposal or a light switch and this just flips it off. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden what you see is my dishwasher that has been working for the last two years, all of a sudden just isn't. And so it becomes, it becomes a little bit of a panic. You don't, you don't know that there's that there. You think that it's, it's got a major problem or broke and it's, just an odd electrical anomaly that someone's added in at some point over the years. Hmm. So I, I would imagine that, that would be a recommendation for like landlords or, or, or homeowners to like know where the switches go and everything, but things like that, that can create this human error that you may not want to solve in the middle of the night or even understand is, is going on, just yeah. prevent it from happening. Get get that yeah. electrical fixed. Uh, is that a is that a recommendation that that you you made often or sometimes with with those kinds of situations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it completely depends. It's 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 a hundred percent circumstantial in something like that. But um, yeah, it's definitely something where it's like, hey, you know, if, if anything, we can 
leave the switch on at least label it put it put a name on it put the, write on it something anything like just just to make sure that you don't do that in the future because it's a very simple thing to avoid but yeah it, it is oftentimes also okay now that we've solved it and we found the mystery let's let's get to the root cause of what's going on and let's get that switch out of there it doesn't need to be there or, or whatever the circumstances um, that you run into yeah so we've covered uh, refrigerators uh, dishwashers on light switches uh, or on, on a switch so that you can actually turn, turn them off or some other of the top top issues say so let's let's go through the t top three other issues that you run into sure um, you see um, ovens uh, you're seeing it less and less these days as they kind of make their way into the more digital age but you see ovens that lose pilot lights or things along those lines they don't they're not working sometimes it's as simple as relighting a pilot light um, they're getting more electric these days, so they're using sparks. But um, there's even like simple things. Maybe you wouldn't recommend that everybody does it, but you can go down into certain areas and see if you can just tweak the the strike plate a little bit to get that spark to come back. Um, so that's a pretty common one. Venting issues for vent hoods um, over the top of over the top of your ovens. Those seem to cause a lot of problems um, yeah. most of the time. It's it's just not drawing enough air, and it just comes to cleaning the the grease traps. People forget about them, um, so they're they're usually hidden away a little bit, and you don't think to to even look up there for one. You just notice that all of a sudden that when I'm cooking, that smoke's not going anywhere. That's the steam isn't rising where it needs to go, and uh, and you call. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's as simple as running it under a wash uh, under a sink and getting it taken care of. Um, I, I also pretty consistently saw garbage disposals that would freeze or lock themselves up, especially for someone who doesn't use it very often. Um, so there's a lot of seals under there that um, if it's not used, is not consistently ran, they can kind of seize up a little bit. Um, and a lot of people don't know that there's a hex key that comes with every garbage disposal. Um, usually there's a pretty simple spot that they've put it. Most people who install them for you will tape it up under your cabinet somewhere or something like that. But you put that hex key in that nut, and you kind of just twist it. Um, there's a little spot on the bottom of it that it fits right into. And in two seconds, you've got your garbage disposal working again. Yeah. Um, I, I always recommend that as an essential thing for any any landlord or property manager to a make sure that that exists and b on move in show the, show the renter that this is what, where it is how to do it and uh, I know you're also supposed to run the garbage disposal with a certain frequency just to help prevent it from se seizing up I can't remember the frequency though how how often with with a garbage disposal you probably want to at, at least once a week you want to turn it on for a little bit what i what i usually tell people to do the best recommendation um especially if you got an ice maker around is to grab you a little bit of ice maybe just a cup of ice turn on the the you should always turn on the the sink whenever you're running a garbage disposal turn on that garbage disposal and pour that ice down there um it's actually really good for the machine to chop up that ice it actually helps kind of keep the blades clean if you do have any kind of sludge buildup, it helps clean that off as it goes through you kind of make a nasty slushy <laughs> when you do that but it helps clean it it helps keep those things from seizing up and i i usually recommend that people do that about once a week okay are there any other um like home appliance tips there's venting to clean out uh garbage disposals you should run once a week and any other tips for like preventative maintenance that are really helpful for for homeowners or property managers well with it, yes it mostly comes down to those two things uh, with appliances you should always consistently use them the the last thing they want is to sit so that doesn't matter what appliance you're talking about you should always run it every now and again um and then 
they all operate off of some form of an air filter or water filter or something along those lines. So you want to make sure those are consistently cleaned out. Um, a big one that's a killer for like your dishwashers is making sure that um, it's recommended that you do it every six months. I would say you at least have to do it once a year is to drain your water heater, uh, have your hot, uh, hot water heater drained out um, and go through that process just to keep sediment and build up from building up inside of it because it typically doesn't cause your water heater to go bad or it will eventually but not not immediately but what it will do is pass that sediment along and cause problems within your water line and that typically finds its way into the little bitty filters and little bitty um fill valves for your for your appliances yeah i, I remember i remember the rental that i was using when when we were at y combinator for a few months uh the the flow on one of the shower heads was just awful and yeah. eventually just took it off and there was just a ton of just rocks and sand behind the filter. So just clean that out is, is all good running everything. You know, it wasn't like there was a flow issue other than there's just a ton of rocks stuck. In Absolutely. Behind. And if somebody was actually consistently taking care of that water heater, that would have never even gotten to that point. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It, it definitely sounds like, especially with the need to run appliances consistent consistently. Uh, you, you often see people who live in homes and then they turn into rentals if they buy a second home. There may be a lot of appliances that aren't used too often by a typical renter. It might be a better idea just to remove them entirely rather than you know, think of them as value add because if they break, it's definitely not a value add in anybody's eyes. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So. When when you were doing the, these issues with the home warranty, you definitely had to make the the site visit. That was part part of the um, yeah. part of the job. But how how many of the issues do you think you could have solved over the phone? Realistically, I I would guess that number is probably somewhere in about forty percent. Assuming I had a a willing participant on the other end of the line, um, probably probably somewhere in that range. Uh, and that's just because it's all about knowing how something is operating and finding those little details. Um, I, whenever I actually ran the numbers on my business, uh, on my business, my on-site time was about 50 minutes on average um, to a house um, all the way across the board. If you take about 15 minutes or so out of that for pleasantries and dealing with like billing issues and things like that, I probably was actively working on a machine for a, roughly 30 minutes, um, it, it, pretty consistently for years. Um, I kept it down to a really small line and probably of that 30 minutes, probably 20 minutes of that is something that I could have walked anyone through how to do. Um, and, and at any point, anybody could possibly solve their issue along those lines. So it, it probably is somewhere between 40 to 50% of all of those calls I probably could have solved over the phone with someone. Sounds like a lot of the specialized knowledge you built up is mainly knowing where to look, what kind of things to, to do rather than some you know magical touch that, that anybody has. That's it. Yeah. Appliances, um, I think they carry an air of mystery around them for a lot of people um, because there's just there's this machine that that puts out a result and I don't really know how it works and I don't want to dig into it. But realistically, they're very simple machines. Um, and so once you once you get a good grasp of how how they work and how they create the results that you, you want to see, there's very simple ways to find out if that is in fact happening. Um, and then by knowing that, that tells you where your break is or where your issue is. So you ran that business for a few years and eventually decided to shut that down and move move on. Uh, why, why was that? What, what was the choice uh, behind shutting down that business? <laughs> so I was pretty. I was newly married at the time, um, and I 
no, it was never my wife's dream. She, we were dating whenever I opened the business. Um, and she was a, but she was a really solid rock for me throughout the whole thing. She helped me with a lot of my logistical issues. She, she was always there for me, even though she had her own career that she focused on and she went through all of that. She was, she was always there for me. Um, it, we don't have any kids. So for us, for me, it was easy to find myself starting to focus more and more on my business. And, um, after a few years, I noticed that I, f- I felt like I was missing a lot of big, big moments in my family's life. Not necessarily between me and my wife, but her, her nieces. She would go to their, their games and things, and I just didn't get to be there for it. And you know, growing up working in a family business, I, I was always there with my dad. I, I was always right there next to him and always, always there to help him as he went through the business. And I just realized that, like, for me, it's time to, to take that knowledge and help someone else realize their dreams and to go that route than it was to keep going down that path for me. I really wanted to get back into um, working on a business and, and helping someone in that respect than, than doing my own and having the freedom to spend that time with my family. Yeah. Just, just last week, our, our podcast was about work-life balance and how to, how to find that. I, I preferred the term psychological well-being over work-life balance because work is life. And there's, there's, it's really hard to disentangle into, especially as a small business owner, but it sounds like it was, it was hard to find that. And I think for anyone starting up a new business in the early days, it's really difficult to be able to, to strike that balance because uh, your demands are being drawn in so many different ways. So looking back on your experience, like, I'd love to know what kind of advice you have for anyone either considering starting up a small business or maybe in the early stages of, of their small business. Uh, what would you have for them? Uh, things to look out for. Uh, to know if it's the right thing. Are they going the right path or not? Yeah. Um, so so for me, what I would say um, is an understanding of, of business itself. Um, business is really just a big network of, of relationships. Um, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's all about, yes, you've got a product. Yes, you've got something you put out, but it's it's really about the, the relationships that you can create. Um, so the biggest thing that you need to look out for um, is that you just, just like with any good relationship, that you have open communication across every platform. Um, that's not just with your clients. That's also at home. Um, it's it's the same with, with your family. And, you know, um, I found that I needed to start updating my wife more on when I was going to be home, when I was coming home, instead of just always running to the next one and putting her to the side. That communication needs to be present. Um, my accountant, I needed to be open with my accountant, what was going on throughout my daily. It's it's everyone, uh, your employees, um, your your customers, you, you need to have every opportunity and seize any opportunity to ease a line of communication, to make it easier to to discuss what's going on at any given moment. Yeah. And, and with all those like communication balls in the air, it can get really tough and overwhelming, like and easy to, to forget, especially as you're like running from thing to thing. Um, do you have any ideas like what kind of systems you, you could put in place or what, what tools would be available to just help ease that transition or ease that, ease that uh, communication path? Yeah. Um, so, so for, for me, um, the, the, the most important thing, and I'm even still learning this lesson um, today, even working here, here at Latchless is, is um, anything that you can do to schedule out um, and, and to put it into place, put everything in the box where it's supposed to be and say, I'm going to be doing this during this time. Um, being able to, to, to take that focus, but also learning when it's time to stop that focus. So f- I, I, I say you always use any kind of scheduling um, platform that you can. Anything that takes your focus, oh, oh, like you don't have to focus on a certain thing. You can kind of narrow your focus to, to one area at a time. Um, that's key. Um, so 
anything along those lines that helps you uh, clarify what you're going to do at any given moment is is the most important systems that I that, that I could think you would have in place. Yeah, I I know from firsthand experience, it's it's almost impossible to feel like you're building your business when your business is running you and you're not running it. It's Absolutely. demanding. It's di dictating what your schedule is going to be rather than you dictating your own schedule. And you need to find whatever tools it is, whether it's assistance, whether it's outsourcing you know, certain, certain things or having very clear lines of, okay, at this time, I cannot be interrupted and yeah. I need to sleep or whatever else it may be. And services like Latchel is helpful for those, those after hours and 24-7 maintenance calls, but also receptionists and, and virtual assistants to be able to help you with those scheduling tools are incredible and I think essential for, for any small business owner. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to um, change gears a little bit and speak a little bit more about property owners and, and property managers. We talked a little bit about preventing issues, but I'd like to hear from your perspective a little bit more about like the, the good preventative measure, measures to prevent maintenance issues from occurring in the first place, how to, how to avoid the maintenance call from even happening in, uh, at all. Yeah. Um, so um, I hate to just throw around quotes, but for, for me, the biggest key that, that people need to keep in mind here is, is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? That, that is 100% the case when it comes to maintenance of a home altogether. Um, so anything you can do to make sure that you're consistently um, doing the little things, the small changing your filters, your air filters for your HVAC systems, um, keeping things clean, painting your house on a pretty regular schedule. Um, Anything sounds big, but anything small and simple that you can do to take care of is preventative. It's going to help you prevent those those larger issues that are going to come down the line. Nothing gets big without showing you little evidence first. Um, so all those little things. What would you say to the property owners and the landlords who are like, well, I don't have the money right now or that's too expensive. I'd rather save the money on it and let, let's let's just patch or let's just deal with it when it comes up. It may be tough, but you'll see the repercussions of that at some point. Um, you, you may get away with it today, but but it will come back and, and it will be twice as expensive. Um, doing it right the first time is just absolutely essential. Um, and it's, it's important not just for yourself, but especially in property management, if you have an owner, um, it's important that you have an open and clear communication with that owner that look, yes, this may be a slightly more expensive thing to do than this, but this is going to save you money because it is always about making sure that it's going to operate and it's going to consistently operate and it helps you be, you have peace of mind. It helps your residents have peace of mind and it will eventually help that owner have peace of mind as well. Is there anything that you found particularly helpful for educating the residents um, for how, how they can better operate their own home and help prevent issues? Um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 some tools out there. I mean, there's places like Latchel, right? We're, we're a great tool for that, especially as as we do more of that troubleshooting with them. But I, I do encourage, um, I actually encourage property managers to help encourage their their residents to learn about these things. Um, you know, always reach out to the property manager, property managers yourselves. You should always have at least some knowledge about it. Do your own research as well. But just going to the to the local places, go to your local hardware store when you have an issue and ask them first because they're probably pretty happy to tell you what's going on. At least give you some some decent recommendations. Um, I've I've always found the local hardware stores are just so much better. That like just being able to walk <laughs> you through an issue and they they've been through it so much better than the big box ones. Sorry for anyone. Yeah. yeah, that might be the, they like those big box ones, but local ones are just so wonderful for that. 
yeah, at least at least on the the relationship perspective. Yeah, you may not always get the perfect prices at the local ones, but you do get a relationship there. And again, that's that's business. So, yeah. so this this one's probably a bit of a bigger question, like more more philosophical. But why why do you think this is so much less common? Troubleshooting, trying to solve problems on your own, like there's definitely been a shift over the past twenty years, say of people just expecting an, an easier solution and not going through the work of trying to solve it on their own. Yeah. So, so to me, there's, there's really two reasons that people don't attempt to solve things on their own. One, it's, it's fear. It's fear of not having the knowledge and in, in, in creating a bigger issue or a bigger hole um, than just, just having someone else come in and do it to begin with. Um, or two, it's it's even if you do have the knowledge, maybe you don't have the time. Um, those are the two trickiest the trickiest things that's, that have kind of caused a little bit of a shift away from that. Um, I guess DIY mindset, if that makes sense. It's it's more of a okay, let's just pull in the expert as as quickly as we can. And those things. Um, they can be preventable. Uh, you know, of course, you, you it is good to have a good network and, and wealth of knowledge around you because no one person can be a true expert on every portion of, of home maintenance. Um, but, you you know, you do need to kind of build up at least a base, have, have a good understanding of what's going on. And, and people don't like to do that because it, it's time consuming. It just takes it takes effort. It takes it takes true like true time to, to really understand the root cause of these kind of problems. Hmm. The, the other question is like, why do you think this um, trying to troubleshoot and solve a problem before dispatching is also not super common in the industry? There's, there's a lot of like very surface level troubleshooting, but not a lot of effort to try to prevent the issue from going out in the first place. Yeah, it's it's a, it's probably largely knowledge based because um, to me in the in the way that I the reason that I think that's that's probably a, a standard I guess you would say in the industry is because we don't want to take the risk of being wrong and and telling somebody to help with something somebody to work on something and then not be correct so I'd rather just go ahead and just throw the money at the expert and the person who's you know knows a lot more than I do um, and just let them make that determination and. I think that's probably not the right approach most of the time, because even if you ask your experts in the field, if you ask me on appliances, I encouraged everyone I ever ran across to try to fix something themselves if I could help it, because I know that I'm expensive and I, I know that it's, you know, my time is better focused as, as an expert on doing those things that are more complicated. Um, and so it kind of does help everyone around you if you do actually put in the effort to make the repair or put in the effort to kind of figure out what's going on. There is a, definitely a line at some point where you have to say, okay, I no longer know what's happening and I have to call in that expert. But I think, I think people don't do it um, as a business philosophy because, because they're afraid of being wrong. Honestly, I think it's just, you don't have that, that, that wealth of knowledge. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just scary. <laughs> there was a, a story you told me a while back of your time your time when you're at home and you're supporting a lot of professionals and helping them work through problems and helping like prevent repairs that could have been big repairs and turning them into much smaller repairs and easier repairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of a back to the basics mentality um, that it sounds like that, that you, you walk through. Can you tell me a little bit more about your support of professionals on site and how, how to walk <laughs> them through, like even turning a, a bigger repair into a smaller repair? Absolutely. So what what you get a lot of times with a professional, um, especially whenever you work in, in 
this type of industry. You work with renters and residents and you work with uh, newer homeowners, people, people along those lines. Um, it, it almost becomes their panic becomes your panic, right? And so as, as a service provider, you, you show up on site, you're, you're, you were woken up maybe in the middle of the night, it's 2 a.m., you go out to a job, you, you do see that there is a leak, and you forget to go through the elements of what might cause something like that. Um, you see the panic, you see the situation, and you start thinking of how you can fix it because you've seen so many really complicated things over time. Um, and, and a lot of times you, you miss those little things um, that, that can be an issue along the way. And so one of the key um, things that I used to do to kind of help with that was just to start talking them down from there and say, okay, so I understand there's a pretty big thing going on, pretty major issue. What do we know is working? What in that process, essentially just bringing it back down into that flow that you should always go through in your mind on, on how to get to the elements of a problem. Um, to put What's it into, use? yeah. So, so for me, it's always about um, what is the end end result that I'm that I'm looking for, and what's going into that. So, what's feeding into that pipe, and where is that pipe going? Do I see? I know I see evidence that there's something not working. I see a leak. Um, is it working up into a certain point? Um, you know, is there is there a valve to that point that maybe I can turn off um, to stop that leak from continuing to go on? Is when I do that, is, am I going to create a bigger problem? Maybe I'm going to stop them from being able to use anything in their house, or maybe I'm not. And that's the key that you have to identify. So I go from what's happening, what's going into it, what's not happening, <laughs> and what I don't want to see. Um, find that middle ground uh, of, of where essentially where your issue is. And then you start walking yourself through what causes those particular issues. That's when you get into the, the real, I guess, troubleshooting at that point. So. A good example for that and a good easier way to put it, maybe it's not as big of a panic as the other things I'm talking about, but um, I used to get a lot of calls for dishwashers not draining. Um, so a dishwasher not draining, there's a few things that it's going to do. We know it's taking water in. So I, I, once I know there's water coming into the dishwasher, then I know it truly is not draining, not just not getting it to begin with. I can essentially eliminate anything along those lines that is putting the water into there. Uh, I know that it's... I'll, I'll then just check the basic maintenance that it's running, it's washing, it's doing all of those kind of things that it's supposed to do and truly determine that what I see is the problem, that it's not draining is all that's going on. Um, then I check the other side. If it's not draining, it goes through a little tube, right? And it goes out somewhere. A large majority of the time, that secondary step of checking the other side found my issue. A lot of the times they'll drain into a garbage disposal. And if it's a pretty new garbage disposal, there's a little knockout plug that you just punch out <laughs> where that line connects into there. Even professional plumbers who install those garbage disposals forget them fairly regularly because it's a simple little thing. It's usually the last step that you gotta do to connect it. So we might've thought there was a big problem with this thing you know, not draining, but the elements are there. It's working as far as I could tell as well as it should. So I looked at the output, there's my problem. If that wasn't the case, then I would just go back into checking the motors and the pumps and clearing the lines, making sure there's no blockages and just going every little step of the way of how I know something operates. Yeah. I, I ran through a similar issue. Say it's the same uh, same rental in, in California when we were going through Y Combinator. Uh, dishwasher wasn't draining. Went through that same, same exact process, checked. It was okay, everything's coming in fine. Everything's going out. Uh, don't see any clogs on the line. Don't see any, any issues there. Um, so then I started looking at the, uh, the impeller and the, the drainage. Didn't seem too clogged up. 
um, you know, cleaned it out, put it back together, tried running it, still wasn't draining. Uh, so then I just ran it empty, just on, on mm -hmm. hot water. And it worked. It just solved, solved it, solved the problem after that. Um, so sometimes you just gotta, just gotta troubleshoot and try, try again. That's it. That's it. And, and if you don't find the answer, then you missed it somewhere. I mean, you just go back and you start over. Yeah. Yeah. Google's pretty helpful for those th types of things too. It sure is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, love to just like start to wrap up. Is there anything, anything that you'd like to like to add, uh, be before wrapping up to the next steps on Latchel? Um, I can't think of too much, um, but I would say to any property managers out there, uh, put all the effort that you can into into making sure your residents are happy with their maintenance because maintenance is a huge portion of uh, a grief between residents and, and property managers. So um, it should be a focus, whatever that is for you, however that, that works out for you, focus on your maintenance. Yeah, there's a lot of surveys at Folio and Buildium included that find that maintenance is the number one issue yeah. that that residents bring up and I, i've seen su some studies that even say that it's the number one reason why a tenant chooses to leave uh, voluntarily like a, exclude job changes having to move out of the country or like family changes like if they have no reason to leave other than i just don't like the maintenance experience is the number one reason yeah, yeah. so what are you excited about next uh, at latchell for me, um, the most exciting thing about Latchel, we've got a lot of innovations and a lot of ideas that we're floating around. The biggest thing to me is is growing our team. Um, I love the team that we've built at Latchel, and that's the most exciting thing. We've assembled like a huge and really great group of people with a with that customer focused mindset um, from a whole bunch of different walks of the business. Um, so there's a lot of different expertise in here. So I, I'm really excited to see us grow in any way that we identify that that can that can benefit uh, property managers and our, our clients and customers all the way around. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. I'm really also excited about all, all the growth and change that we have. And I think, uh, Joseph, I'm incredibly glad that we have you on the team to lean on your depth of breadth and depth of experience in, in the maintenance side. So we can start to plumb that, turn the, that into more products to, to benefit our customers. So if you're uh, interested in learning more about Latchel services and what we do here, head to latchel.com and hit the book a demo button. We'd love to talk to you about streamlining the maintenance portion of your business. Uh, if you want to listen in on any of our past sessions, you can subscribe to the Latchel podcast on App Apple Podcasts or Google Play or follow our Crowdcast channel here. And also we have a troubleshooting guide. You can download the guide. Um, there's a green button if you're on the Crowdcast. And then we also have a link. It is eguide.latchel.com slash troubleshooting rental maintenance with dashes in between troubleshooting dash rental dash maintenance. So that's eguide.latchel.com slash troubleshooting dash rental dash maintenance. Thank you. Everyone have a great day. Bye everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. 
We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to Latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks, everyone. See you back next week.